We all dream of what we're going to do when we uh, retire from our daily work day. Well, uh, our guest this week probably dreamed of uh, travel, playing golf, sleeping late, but he didn't get the memo except for that travel part. Welcome to This Alabama Life. Hello and welcome to This Alabama Life, a podcast we very proudly present each week. And I'm your very proud host, Don Keith, and my very proud co-host, Andrea Tice, is with us. Pretty proud. <laughs> <laughs> we're all proud, and we're especially proud to present today's uh, guest because uh, this gentleman worked for a long time very successfully in quite a few business areas, including uh, medical, uh, the medical industry, which is big here in Birmingham in this area. But uh, when he retired, like most people, I'm sure he thought, I'll play golf and I'll travel. Well, the travel part he did. But the other things that he's gotten involved in, I think are fascinating and very impressive. And as in keeping with the, the tenet of this program is uh, uplifting, positive, and doing good things for people. Warren Calloway, it's good to have you. Thanks, Don. Glad to be here. Andrea? You worked in the medical industry for a lot of, I say industry, and that doesn't sound exactly right. But No, we didn't field. call it that. Uh, I was in hospital administration. In uh, all my career, I felt like I was helping people. But truthfully, if they quit paying me, I would have quit doing it. So there's kind of a tit for tat in, in health care. Um, we were helping people. We were doing good. Uh, but we're part of an industry, so um, there's there's both sides to that. Yeah, so it sounds like welding and uh, stuff mm. like that should be going on if we call it an industry, but yet it really is, and it's one that has evolved. We won't get too deep in the weeds on that, but it's certainly evolved dramatically over the last few years, uh, probably even more so since you left uh, the business. Well, over 30 years, um, things changed dramatically. I can remember back in the early 80s when uh, – uh, the insurance companies were kind of driving the change of, of um, hospitalization where they said you couldn't keep a patient beyond so many days or you couldn't admit them the night before surgery. The, you know, today that just sounds radical because we're doing so much uh, on, in an outpatient basis. But back in those days, you know, we had these behaviors and they changed dramatically because of the evolution of technology understanding of medicine and so forth. And of course, government kept up with that by doing all the right things. Well, there was a cost component. Um, so clearly we had to change the way we did things because costs were driving us, frankly, out of business. Now, Warren, you were there for 30 years, so I'm assuming that probably right in the middle of that or a little towards the end of it, uh, Obamacare came into place. How did that affect uh, things? Well, I left before Obamacare came along, okay. so I can't speak firsthand, but... Um, I will say this, I always could articulate what was wrong with healthcare as a, as an industry. I never really had the answer to how to fix it because so much of what happens in, in healthcare and hospitals is driven by federal governmental policy mm. because frankly, uh, Medicare picks up half the tab. So, uh, the federal government has the right to dictate a lot of aspects of health care. And um, the industry does what uh, Medicare says. 
And I was being facetious when I said government was keeping up with everything and was always doing the right thing. No comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I promised we wouldn't talk about health care and the industry and the business uh, for too much, but it's an important industry here in the Birmingham area for certain. Well, true confessions, uh, I left health care in 2006. So what my knowledge is quite dated now and probably pretty irrelevant. Uh, but for me, it was a very good career. Uh, I have good memories. Uh, I moved eight times uh, in my career uh -huh. from one hospital to a, a different hospital. Four of those moves were with the same company that I worked for. But um, I saw a lot of different uh, scenarios in healthcare, and uh, it was very rewarding. It's a very good career for me. But somewhere along the way, you said, you know what, I'm going to retire. I'm going to play golf. Oh, yes. I'm going to sleep late. I'm not going to punch a clock. I don't have to solve all these problems. I'm, I'm not going to drive my wife crazy by it, being at home. Exactly. Yeah. And everything was going to be great. And the, the irony is your back goes out and you can't play golf. You can't sleep late because you've been getting up early for the last 40 years. Um, your wife, you're in your wife's space. Uh, so there are dynamics there. This is uh, true. There, there are a whole lot of things that come out of retirement, the reality of retirement, that you don't really anticipate uh, before it happens. And uh, I'm sure you uh, anticipated the same thing most of us do when we think about retiring, but did you have any idea what you were going to end up doing? No, but I was realistic in uh, being intentional. And part of, part of my story is uh, – that when I did retire for the second time in 2012, I read a book, which I'll recommend. It was written by Bob Buford, and it's called Halftime, Turning Success into Significance. Hmm. And it, for me, was a good read because it, 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 this, this author said, um, when you retire, you're only really at the halftime of your life. And what are you going to do for the second half? And his message was be intentional in trying to figure out who you're going to be, what you're going to be, and how you're going to spend your valuable time that you have left. Uh, for me, it was really uh, helpful as I started thinking about, okay, what can you do as you age and your body doesn't allow you to do some of the things that you used to do? Um, what can you do that you can afford to do? You know, you can't be too frivolous financially in retirement. You've got to be realistic. Um, and that helped me kind of structure budgets for different things that I do in my retirement. Um, and, um, you know, the health, the health part of it was probably the most wise advice that I got. You know, there were things I did uh, when I was younger. Can't do them anymore. So you've got to be realistic as you age. A uh, good friend of mine, uh, his view of retirement was playing golf every day. Now his back's gone out. So uh, there are realities of, of aging that you have to take into consideration as you get older. Well, we've teased this long enough. What did you decide and when did you decide to do what you are doing? Well, what I'm doing is uh, uh, filmmaking and uh, mission work. And I've blended those together into a, uh, an activity which keeps me pretty well occupied. But I'd like to start telling the story by going back to 2007. And what happened in 2007 
is I went on my first international mission trip. And I went out of curiosity more than anything. I had a friend who lived here in Birmingham uh, named Samson Mathangani. He was uh, attending a, a seminary at Samford. His wife, Mary, was a good friend, and he had a, organized a trip to Kenya, where he is from. And when I heard about the trip being uh, organized, I said, I've got to go and see where Samson came from. I was mm. just curious. Mm. I went to Africa in 2007. Uh, I saw things I've never seen before, poverty, uh, children with nothing but who were joyous. Uh, I saw people doing good work. I saw people living without clean water, mm. uh, sewage, electricity. There was there were so many things that bombarded my head. When I came home, I couldn't even describe my experience. I came home and I just said, I'll tell you, I'll get back to you. I've got to think about it, let it marinate in my head a little bit before I can really tell you what my experience was. Uh, and I just found myself restless after that experience. It just took me a long time to come up with that word, restless. Uh, I was restless and I felt like I've had this experience. I need to do something with it. And I didn't know what. Uh, so moving down the line, I reached out and started mentoring a young African girl who was in graduate school at a nearby university. And that young lady became part of our family. Uh, she went to church with us every Sunday. She went to lunch with us after church and was part of our social group. And we came to know her over a period of two years. We then learned about the water issues in her village. Mm. And we put, we said, gosh, we can, uh, we can fix this. You know, it's not a heavy lift for us. It is for them, but it's not for us. And uh, we put a, a, a well and a water system into her village. And um, it's not like, Never Thirst, who you interviewed last week, they're mm -hmm. doing hundreds of wells. Uh, we did one well, but we significantly changed the landscape for a village, for that village in Africa. And I would say it's one of the coolest things I ever did, uh, most rewarding things I ever did. Uh, whereas that village used to have cholera outbreaks every year, 12 to 20 villagers would die from cholera, mm. which is a completely preventable disease. Right. Uh, since the water well went in um, 10 year, 12 years ago, uh, not one case of cholera has occurred. Not one villager has died from cholera. And the young ladies who used to have to fetch water spend hours each day going to the river, getting water, bringing it back to cook and bathe in. Uh, they don't have to do that anymore. So they are not falling behind in their schoolwork. Uh, like they were, and uh, that created a cycle of illiteracy, uh, mm -hmm. submission to arranged marriages, and uh, now they're staying in school. Some have graduated from high school, and a few have actually gone on to the university. So profound changes just because of clean water in their village. Yeah, it's great to hear you as a firsthand witness. I mean, not that Matt doesn't have a whole lot of stories either. Matt Letourneau, who's CEO of Never Thirst. Right, but mm -hmm. it's good to hear from another person who has actually been on the ground seeing that occur. And, Absolutely. And, and then having 10 years or more 
to see that those changes play out continuously. Well, he even brought up the point that uh, because those uh, females in the village were the ones who went and got the water, uh, human traffickers knew the, the routes they were taking, and that was easy pickings. Right, easy pickings predator, yeah. for predatory Exactly. The girls, the girls are subject to danger, and we're not talking about walking down to the corner to get water. We're talking about miles. Mm-hmm. You know, we just can't imagine how big a deal it is for them to walk miles to the river uh, to fill a five-gallon bucket, carry it on their heads. And there's a picture of me attempting to do that uh, in Africa. And I'm telling you, it's a heavy load. And I, when I tried, I was wet all over from just <laughs> sloshing. But they did that every day, twice a day. And it, it was a big part of their lives until they mm. were able to turn a faucet and get water in their villages. Wow. So you had that experience. You saw the, the, the immediate impact up front and personal, up close and personal. And then what, what compelled you to go down the road of filming? What, how did that get started? Or was it something you stumbled across or something you intentionally decided to go through? A lot of things were happening at the same time. First of all, technology was putting filmmaking equipment in the hands of individuals as opposed to studios. Right. Whereas it used to take a big computer, an expensive camera, mm-hmm. uh, a whole lot of staff to put together a movie. Filmmaking is an individual pursuit today. And um, that was occurring at that time. Secondly, a friend who does c- commercials <clears throat> for attorneys said she would like to make a movie of this event, this uh, Anne's life journey that led from her leaving her village, coming to the U.S. to go to graduate school, uh, meeting us, and a well being put in her village that changed her village's life. It, it, it's a great story, and it's called Well of Dreams, uh, the, um, the Journey of Anne O'Kello, which is on a DVD. This is a DVD, Andrea. Okay. No, they... They uh, got rid know. of those before you came along. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little older than I, I may look, and I know full well what a DVD is and a VHS. But our, Is that shocking? Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, but our friend made this movie, and uh, I was part of the uh, return to Africa to do some filming. And I watched these young fellas uh, put this together, and I thought, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another, online courses, YouTube videos, uh, all kinds of kind of pastimes where I would learn new skills, how to edit, how to use a camera. Uh, Started with something called a flip camera, which they don't even make anymore. And it's kind of funny to to think about it today. Uh, But that evolved into a bigger camera and a bigger camera. And like most men's pursuits, it's really equipment intense. So I buy lots of toys to do this filmmaking, but I'm pretty good at it, pretty accomplished at it. Well, that's the thing. You're being very modest here, but uh, and it's true. We all have a film camera on our belts nowadays right. with a cell phone. But to make a good movie and to tell a story, you got to have some talent there, some skill. Well, there's technical side of it, and there's the artistic side. And I, I'm... Very good at the te- technical side. Uh, I'm getting better at the artistic side. And that's this part of your brain that's been asleep for 40 years. 
but I'm kind of shaking it alive. And um, we did make a movie in 2020 uh, that was on the big screen, has been uh, critically acclaimed, and that was about Birmingham artist Steve Skipper, who does sports art and civil rights art and religious art. And if you'll go to podcasts on 1819.com or go to our YouTube page for This Alabama Life, you'll see that Steve has been a, a guest on our program. He, he was one of our very first, I he believe. Sure yes, was. It was wonderful to have him in. He was great. Well, yeah. his testimony is great. Uh, he's the real deal. And it was a pleasure making the movie about his life journey. Um, and I think it's one that Birmingham can be proud of. Yes. And he's going to be the uh, keynote speaker at the Vestavia Prayer Breakfast in April, which I'm pleased about. Uh, we continue to uh, expand his platform and his uh, recognition because he's a very accomplished artist, but he's a good person as well and uh, very proud to be involved in, in his life and his profession. Well, where does the storytelling come from? Have, have you been involved in storytelling in the past? or you know, Lots of spreadsheets, I'm sure, during over the years. But uh, do, do you want me to throw that ball to you, Don, because you're the storyteller? <laughs> <laughs> well, I make up lies for money. I write books, yes. <laughs> you're a good storyteller, and you weighed in on our movie and helped carry that story, make it come alive. Well, in, in the... Uh, Full disclosure mode again, uh, Warren and I are actually partners in a film production company called Fig Tree Media Group. Where'd that name come from? Well, it came from the Bible. The Bible. Remember the story that uh, Jesus saw the fig tree and it had no fruit on it and he caused it to wither? When we were putting our, our company together, we said, well, let's call it fig tree because if it doesn't bear fruit, we will just throw it away. Right. It'll become dead fig tree media, dead right? Fig. So, so far it continues to thrive. We continue to be involved in projects, uh, some big, some small. But again, part of my retirement story is it's kind of keeping us busy, Don. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's fun. Far busier than old retired people should be, I think. Sometimes. Well, you know, sometimes somebody will ask me to do something and I say, well, you have me confused with someone who wants to work hard. But the reality <laughs> is I want to do what I want to do, not what somebody tells me I have to do. I think that was my tenant and also yours when we first started this company with our, our co-partner Chris Danielson, who is an ordained minister, and he's the pastor of a church in Abilene, Kansas, of all places now. Uh, yeah, you put us to work, but not too hard. Well, I, I'll have to use that line. I, I, I like it. Well, that's a part of the retirement uh, portfolio as yes. well. You know, you want to do what you, you want to do, not what you had to do in your work life. And uh, there are things that you're good at, that you want to do, that you'll get passionate about. And there are other things that are kind of, nah, I don't have to do that anymore, or in the right not to. Well, don't, don't you find that I've noticed after hitting 40, and I'm sure every decade it might even become more intense, is this um, unwillingness to waste time. You know, you feel the clock's ticking, and you've learned enough to say, okay, I'm not good at this, and I'm not intending to be good at this, so I'm not even going to waste my time. Let's stick to what I know and what I want to do. Absolutely true. And especially people like me who feel like I've got to tell every good story now, and that puts a lot of pressure on a guy. Well, and, and that's a good point, Don. There are a lot of good stories out there, 
And storytelling is what we all used to do. And we, you know, TV has replaced, you know, the audible storytelling to some extent. But uh, we all listen to the radio growing up if we're old enough. And those stories are powerful. You remember them. And uh, that's how uh, our history gets passed along is mm-hmm. through those stories, through parables in the Bible mm-hmm. or uh, stories your grandmother or grandfather uh, told you when you were growing up. So it's very powerful. And, and they're story, good stories that don't get turned into movies because movies are always a function of finances. Can you raise the money? Or are people becoming passionate enough about a story that they want to write a check to help fund it. So that's always part of the filmmaking uh, dilemma is uh, I may have a good story, but I may not have the dollars to to bring it to the big screen. And you almost have to have a hero that wears a cape and uh, flies or something. (laughs) At least for the big ones, at least for the big movies. Now, when you went into the whole filmmaking and then you'd had a missionary trip, Mm -hmm. uh, did you continue the missionary trips and did you combine the two? Well, part of, the, part of the story was I became very passionate about short-term missions. You know, I'm, I wasn't prepared to go to the field full-time. I wasn't smart enough or equipped enough or so inclined. Didn't want to leave my wife. Uh, she was not inspired to go. Uh, but what I did is I said, I'm going to budget two international mission trips a year. Uh, through my church, which is very mission-minded, uh, Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And I have done that over the last uh, 10 years. I've gone at least twice a year, sometimes three. And in the course of doing that, you become pretty comfortable with uh, issues of language, culture, um, the opportunity to evangelize, to share your faith, uh, to find the way that you could do that, whether uh, whether it's uh, whatever it is, you know, t- we teach kids in, in one of our outreaches with the Syrian refugees, uh, and that's terribly rewarding, and it's really okay in my wheelhouse. You know, I wasn't a teacher, but I can talk to kids and tell them stories and uh, make their faith, uh, you know, in, enhance their faith. So uh, I'm very comfortable doing that, and it's a great reward. I always come home saying, I got way more than I gave. Mm-hmm. But that's not really true. You are given a lot, uh, but it just doesn't feel like you're giving up, up anything. You're given a lot, but you're getting a lot. So short-term missions, whether it's international or right here in Birmingham, uh, is very rewarding. And I would highly recommend it as part of somebody's thought process as they prepare for retirement. Mm. It's a good challenge. It's um, on the other half of your life to make that count for just as much, if not more, than just like you referred to, Don, going out on the golf course or mm-hmm. doing some other type of leisurely activity. This, and not only that, but you, you, you picked a good entry point. When you're dealing with kids and a different culture, Learn, you know, meeting kids is the easiest way. They are the most forgiving and they're the most receptive. But then on top of that, who knows how God is affecting their lives by your interaction with them. Exactly. And they're going to be around for a while to affect other people. Exactly right. Yes. When you're a short-termer in the field, you can demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ through your actions. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. 
it's hard to go in there and talk about biblical scripture, trying to teach them the gospel message, but they can see how you can love how you love them, mm-hmm. and that's something that happens even in those short term visits. Uh, so it's not impossible, uh, but you you're augmenting what's happening there every day with the full-time missionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my most rewarding experiences has been in, in Lebanon working with Syrian refugee children. And these are families just like ours that had to leave their home because of a war in Syria. And they're living in tents. They've been living there seven years now, and they want to go home. Mm. But the country's war goes on, and they're not able to go back. But these kids uh, are not being embraced by the Lebanese government. So, but for the school that we're supporting, they wouldn't have a way to go to school. And already, these children are at least a grade, if not two grades, behind their peers uh, of the same age. But the school that they're going to, and most of these are are, are Muslim children. Uh, but they're hearing the love of Jesus Christ through the, the work at the school, and that's pretty powerful. Yes. Um, no, you can't, they're not wasting time. I mean, seven years for an adult, mm, it's, it's a blip. But for a kid, there's a lot mm. of, of uh, experience and, and learning that mm-hmm. gets lost if, if, if you're not on top of it. So that, that's great that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Just odd questions that pop up as I did a little research on you and your background. You have uh, videoed sermons in 11 languages? 12. 12. <laughs> wow. You, no. you caught one in English somewhere? I think uh, UK English counts as one, uh, separate from US English, which is a separate. Or two, Southern two English, of the, which two is two of the 12. But I yeah, uh, yeah. uh, didn't set out to do that, but. Uh, it's happened, and what I would say is, even though you may not be able to understand the language, you can feel the Holy Spirit when you're there worshiping with people in a different language. And I've heard worship services in Swahili, in the Luo tribe uh, dialect of of Kenya. Uh, I've heard Minangkabau dialect in Indonesia, uh, and it's. They're all a little different, but you could just feel this the spirituality of the of their worship mm. in spite of not being able to understand the words. And sometimes you can understand the the singing because they're familiar hymns that they're singing in their their right, language. Right. Uh and sometimes you can sing along. And now after uh recording these sermons, how are how are they put to use in, in that country? Are they or brought back to the U.S.? My audience is my church. When I do a video and bring it home and the church is able to see mission work in the field, hopefully they're inspired to give to missions, uh, and hopefully they're inspired to go on -hmm. missions. So it serves those two purposes and those two purposes alone. And if that's my only audience, it's a success. Mm -hmm. because missions can be kind of an abstract thought uh, until you see it. Mm -hmm. When you see the lives that are impacted, um, how disadvantaged other people in other parts of the world are, and how we can impact their lives for the better, 
it's it's a powerful uh, story that you're telling visually, and that's what I do. Well, and along those lines, if you're showing uh, pastors who are preaching in a whole other language, but the spirit is the same, right? Right. The 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 message is the same. It's universal. And, and it just brings it brings everybody together closer. It becomes this very small world after all, even in even in the nonverbals, not being able to understand it, but just see it. A short story that happened a year and a half ago when I had COVID. Uh, my daughter Anne in Kenya heard that I was sick and in the hospital. And she told her mama, now her mama thinks I'm a rock star because we put a well in her, her village. And, you know, that's not deserved, but that's kind of how they treat us. When she learned that I was ill, uh, she pulled the whole village together to pray on three nights for wow. me, for wow. my healing. And I've never been the recipient of intercessory prayer, but I can tell you, I could feel it uh, when I knew that they were doing that. Uh, it was a powerful experience for me. And um, it just, that's some of the fruit of the efforts that come out of this work, you know, well, through missions. When we talk about travel and retirement, everybody plans to travel, and most of us don't get to do that travel because of other th- grandkids or whatever get, get in the way. You're traveling to some places that aren't exactly tourist destinations, and there's got to be a little danger and discomfort involved here. Yeah, I would say there's no danger because I'm usually with locals and they know how to keep us away from danger. Uh, uh, but I will tell you a short story about when I renewed my global entry uh, um, with TSA. It comes up for renewal after five years and you can renew it online. But when I went to renew online, it asked where have you been in the last five years? And I listed all the destinations and it cut me off and it said, I'm afraid you're going to have to come in for an interview. Oh, (laughs) obviously an international terrorist. (laughs) It would appear so. Uh, All these Middle Eastern uh, destinations that were not tourist destinations. Uh Mm. And of course, when I went in for the interview and told them what kind of work we were doing, everything was fine, but it, it did kind of, bring attention to the fact that I'm going places that uh, the cruise ships are not really going. Yeah, those forms you fill out at the doctor for the physical, have you been in these places lately? And you check a few of them that none of us ever (laughs) check. Maybe spring break at the beach is the most dangerous most of us get it. Believe into. me, I keep my shots up to date. There you go. (laughs) Have you had any, you know, dodgy moments in these different countries? I have, I have had no problems with food, which is a blessing. Yeah, that is. Uh, because that could... I have had local cuisine, but I'm careful about making sure it's something that's cooked, not something that's washed. Uh, so that, that has not been a problem. I was uh, did have my camera equipment confiscated in North Africa, um, which is another story for another day. But uh, I did get it back. But oh. when you go to film and they take your camera equipment, what are you going to do? And the answer is I did the best I could. I used my iPhone and did a reasonable job, not as good as I wanted to do, but I got the job done. And the iPhone is a terrific tool. It is. Um, and it, it, that lesson taught me that I need to be able to record good audio because the iPhone's a little weak on audio, but it's great on video. So I figured out a solution for that for future trips. And uh, you just do I'm what just, you have to do. I'm just curious. What's your solution? 
Because I'm, you know, I'm, you carry well, you carry a second iPhone that has a uh, the ability to work with an external microphone, okay. and you record okay. separate audio. Okay. okay. So there is a, a good solution, good workaround. And it only involves two other phones and a mic. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. So when you got your uh, film equipment back, had they been tampering with it? Were they looking at it? No. Or th- it was all there. It all okay. worked out fine. Okay. Um, when I travel. There's a scripture from Proverbs 16, 9, and it says, God, man makes plans in his heart, but God will order his steps. And I always kind of focus on that because international travel is fraught with delays and unexpected events. And you just you just have to chill and, and go with the flow. And I had a chance to talk to some uh, customs folks in North Africa that I wouldn't have encountered otherwise. And you just have to go with the flow. Right. You never know what, who God is putting you in their path for That's a purpose. Right. You just never know. Yeah. You got to be willing to uh, share at any time. Right. Well, as we sit here at this time, what's coming up? You got anything planned? I'm taking my wife on a vacation to South Dakota next month. Wow. Talk about an exotic. We, we, <laughs> we have never gone to South Dakota. <laughs> so we're going to see Mount Rushmore and the Black Hills and kind of a, stay in a cabin with a, a nice buck stove in it and uh, do some day hiking. And that's pretty laid back, uh, relaxing trip, but, you know, enjoy the outdoors. And Did you say that's coming up in a couple of months? Not a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You're doing it in the spring and summer months. So that's yeah. a good move. Yeah, well, I have, a, I, have, gone by then. <laughs> I have a Maybe. grandchild uh, en route arriving June 11th. And we could, we had to be sure our travel didn't mm. interfere with the arrival of our new granddaughter in June. So there you go. That's good. Good planning. How many grandkids will this be for you? This will be number four, right. but our first granddaughter. Oh, congratulations! Oh. Yeah, we're excited. That yep, we're still having those too. By the way, um, briefly back on uh, the Steve Skipper story, Colors of Character. I know that was in theaters about 800 screens around the country. Unfortunately, it was at the height of COVID, one of the big outbreaks. And I think they had a total of 800 people in those <laughs> theaters. We're, we're still hoping that that gets a wider distribution at some point. Well, you can see it. You can stream it on Amazon Prime, as you can Well of Dreams. So both movies are out there uh, for your view and pleasure. And I would encourage people to watch them. And the movie business is a tough business. It's a tough business. It's changing. Uh, going to the theaters is not necessarily the the best route these days. Uh, streaming services are very important. And as we are learning, the, even the big studios haven't quite figured this thing out yet. No, because no. like all media, media is changing so rapidly. It's something I've tried to track being involved in media for all these years. It's it's hard to predict exactly what's going to be the next. People want to consume media and see and hear stories any way they can see them, on their phones, on their car radio. Uh, on demand. On demand I mean, at any yeah. time. Which is I want going, it when I want it. And yet advertisers want to be sure that you see their commercials, and it just doesn't jive sometimes. Right. And you, and you never know what new technology is going to come out. It's in the works, and then it gets uh, um, revealed, and it it's a game changer, and everything else has to realign, and then we're down further down into technology. It's, it's not a bricks and mortar business anymore. It's it's a virtual business. Although I think you'll agree with me that still storytelling is storytelling, mm-hmm. and my mission and the mission of this podcast is to tell positive stories 
And I think people need positive stories now. Even a negative story can be a positive story sometimes. Steve Skipper being an example. Here's a guy who sold drugs to his teammates on the football team at Homewood High School who completely turned his life around and inspiring so many people. That's right. And uh, I always say that video cannot make a bad story good. You've got to have a good story that's told audibly and the video can enhance it, can kind of hold your attention, but it cannot make a bad story good. Warren, as you're talking about story, let me double back around to what you said uh, as you were uh, approaching retirement. For those that are out there right now, man or woman, who are, are you know, closing in on that retirement phase, what would be uh, just some practical advice that you could give them on how they're going to handle these retirement years and make them count? not just let them kind of dwindle away however they happen to dwindle? I I think the best advice is to be practical and and realistic about what you can do physically, what you can do financially, uh, because it is different. All of a sudden in retirement, you may have saved what you hope is enough money for retirement, but you're not getting a paycheck anymore. So you have to re-gear recalibrate your expenses, and that may or may not include travel. You know, I feel very fortunate that I can afford to go on a couple of trips a year. Um, Many people can't do that, but they can go downtown and help it. Um, Johnny, Jimmy Hale in Birmingham, uh, they can still do the mission work without traveling internationally. Uh, So I wouldn't let that be a deterrent, but be intentional about what you set your goals to be in retirement. And uh, don't think that you're going to physically be able to do the things. You know, if you were a mountain climber when you were younger, you're probably not going to be one when you retire. I'll be a mountain faller, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you be realistic uh, as far as your physical ability because life, you know, age changes things. Well, I, I think about it. You, you're probably a lot younger than I am, but we were the generation that was going to change the world, remember? And mm-hmm. Why have we given up on that that mission? We can still do things. Maybe we don't change the world, but we can change some important parts of that world. You know, I'm I'm one of those guys, and you probably were too, Don, when you were five years old and you sat in front of the TV and the little bear dressed up in the suit came on with a little warden's hat and he said, only you can prevent forest fires. Well, I thought, oh. Oh, no, it's up to me. <laughs> you it, took it, it very little. It's what like, can I do? <laughs> I'm just one child. Uh, but that's funny, but it kind of makes you think, well, what can I do? I'm one person, and I can have an impact on one life, and that's worthwhile, uh, whether it's helping a homeless person in downtown Birmingham or a refugee child in Lebanon. I mean, it, it's the same net impact on our uh, brothers and sisters. And that's, you know, the number one command is love your brothers and sisters. Plus, you can probably confirm that you get just a little more satisfaction from that than you would shooting your age at golf. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, maybe not. I couldn't I, shoot my I'm age. not old enough to shoot my age by any stretch. So, Well, this, this is a, a perfect example of what we try to do with this podcast. People who are doing positive things helping other folks, and they're all part of Alabama. You're a Georgian originally, but somehow you ended up in Alabama. And 
spent a good bit of my life in Alabama. And no plans this is to home. leave. No nope. plans to leave. That's the important thing. Except maybe to Lebanon or Syria right. or you know, some places like that. Yes. This Alabama life tries to highlight stories like Warren Calloway's. We're glad he, he was able to come in and visit with us today. Thank you for taking time to visit. We hope you'll give us a thumbs up on uh, YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find this podcast any place you get podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify. It, you can always go to the 1819 News webcast, or, or web page, 1819news.com, and click on podcasts. You'll see not only this one, but some other very worthy and interesting and stimulating uh, podcasts that are produced by 1819 News. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on This Alabama Life.